0: Hello, Kubernetes community, and welcome back to the Cuddle podcast. We are coming to you live this morning, back at home, back from KubeCon, sort of uh, absorbing all the, the craziness and, and things that went on at KubeCon, everything from you know hundreds of sessions to a uh, small blizzard there in Austin the last day or so. Uh, Tyler, how are you? Uh, how you recover from KubeCon?
1: Um, I'm still as you can tell my voice I'm still in uh, a little bit in recovery mode from the uh, kind of gauntlet of conferences and stuff the last couple and travel the last couple weeks but uh, we're getting there yeah you know, it was definitely between between reinvent and kubecon
0: and uh, a little bit of other travel in between I know you went out to the west coast I went out south and so yeah definitely trying to, to hold it together here before Christmas um, I thought what we would do is you know today's uh, today's the 18th we're gonna drop this one today on Monday um, next Monday would be Christmas so I think we're gonna we're gonna pass on that and and what we're gonna do is this week's show will be a little bit longer so here's the way to think about this if you're listening to this if you if you really get along with your in-laws and your family and everybody for Christmas um, then definitely definitely listen to this show. If you don't, and you need a distraction around the holidays, like hold off on listening to this one and, uh, and tied it over to, uh, to Christmas time. Cause we're not going to drop one next week and, <laughs> and this will, this will help you get through the family and, and all that other stuff. So, um, but I thought what we would do is, you know, a lot of times people want to do, uh, prediction shows and, uh, and other stuff that, the one thing I, I, I don't love about tech prediction things is, they tend to always fall into one of two categories, right? One is either, "Hey, um, I work for a vendor, and what I'm going to predict happens to exactly align to the portfolio of things we have, and and therefore we're all geniuses, and we've you know we've built what the future looks like." Or they are they are so far out into the future, like everything is, uh, you know, flying cars and you know cryptocurrency and you know
1: like and they're all like and that is all going to happen next year. And so what? <laughs> which well, there's there's also the third category of the very uh, broad, blindingly obvious like next year I think cloud's gonna be a big thing. Like drama yeah. whoa, whoa, yeah. no there.
0: People will use computers. Uh, <laughs> uh, so I thought what we would do is <clears throat> instead of instead of sort of doing a prediction show, we may do some predictions at the end, is sort of look back at the year and kind of put it in the context of, you know, how did how did the Kubernetes space evolve? Um and, and also put it in the context of, you know, a lot of times people, you know, I mean we started this year literally with you know, there were, there were multiple options of container schedulers, um, where the people were like actively debating, Hey, you know, it was one going to do better than another, uh, you know, lots of debates about what was going on in the container space. And, and then, you know, lots of complaints in general, say between them, you know, one, one would be better than the other. And so I thought what we would do is, is sort of run through kind of how the year evolved based on some things that people complained about and, and sort of give it some context of how far the community's evolved in a year. Because I think just that context alone in terms of how it's evolved, how it's gotten better, um, helps us give people a really good sense of why the Kubernetes community is, is doing as, as well as it is.
1: Yeah, I, I think there's there's always a, a you know fine balance between you know willing to be you know if you're too self-critical uh, as a as a project or or a company or a software uh, development group you you spend a lot of navel gazing trying to do everything over and over again because you think everything's terrible and the other end where everything's amazing and you just ignore any sort of complaints uh, you know you have to find sort of a happy medium in there and I feel like the the Kube community is about there now. Yep. Um. So yeah. So we'll uh, we'll go through it all. Yeah. And,
0: uh, and, and apologize. We were joking about this before the show. Like as we were writing some of these things out, they, they do naturally tend to sort of fall into kind of a stack. Uh, I think our brain for whatever reason likes to make stacks out of things. So it'll probably start somewhere in what sounds like a stack and may go up or down depending on, um, you know, what, what's next. But, uh, apologize if, if at the end of this, you go, Hey, they, they just sort of described a, a big giant stack of stuff and what's good and bad. So, um, kind of our natural engineering of <laughs> doing that. So I thought the first thing we would get started with, um, is just sort of you know set up and and getting started and so forth that you know there was a big push you know a year maybe a little more than a year ago about hey kubernetes is hard to get running and kubernetes is hard to get started um give us a sense of what's gone on in the last you know 12 to 18 months to make that simpler
1: yes yeah, so i i think that was you know when we started with containers and specifically docker it was hey like docker build docker run super easy you know the docker engine and then you know, was the the move to orchestration and that's, you know, Docker Swarm and Kubernetes and it was like, ooh, you know, Swarm and Knit, Docker Swarm and Knit, wow, sweet, I got that up and Kubernetes was, you know, a bit more complex than that. So I think that was, there was a, a rush to create a bunch of tools. um, And sometimes you get, you know, tool overload where everyone makes a tool and and they're all differently terrible and, and things like that. And I think uh, what we've seen this year is, you know, stuff like uh, Minikube, uh, is a is a really cool tool and then you know offshoot to that like like mini shift and uh you know different a bunch of different ansible based uh tools to build uh kube clusters so uh, there's kube spray kubecorn you know a bunch of different ones and then, and then now even even services
0: yep yep yeah and i, and I think you're right there's still so I, I think on one checkbox level um it's been much easier to get a kube environment up and running you can get clusters set up um, you know, people are getting better at setting up even highly available clusters. Um, and then, you know, if you, if you want to go take a look at something sort of interesting, interesting perspective, um, go look at a talk from, uh, from KubeCon by a guy named Michael Ducey, who had previously been at chef. He's now over at PagerDuty. Uh, he does a really nice job of sort of walking through, you know, kind of a lot of the different options that are out there right now and, and, you know, pros and cons of each one and, um, you know, kind of saying, hey, look, it, it's still not Nirvana. Um, there are definitely pros and cons that you like, but it's definitely easier than than a year ago. And, and you can, I, I think this fits in the category of it's not only easier to get something going like on your desktop, but then if you look at the breadth of online services that are available to you, everything from, you know uh free tiers um you know getting a couple of uh, droplets up on DigitalOcean. um things like what katakoda does uh for learning environments um you know free tiers on OpenShift online um you know all these things are are making it much much simpler you know kind of across the board in terms of where you might want to deploy it or how you might want to deploy it
1: yeah the um Yeah, I think that's that's the uh the key is you know, we we saw this with other tooling and, and other projects where it's like, sweet so you can get this up on your laptop but but that problem's sorta of solved. Like how do we how do we you know go past that? I think having I think having the idea that people are like well this is the best way but you know having a lot of different ways for people to to consume and and learn and and get comfortable with it you know whether it's a, a full blown you know cloud services you know like Google and Amazon Azure and that stuff or you know OpenShift online or you know or even just having some of the templates in the uh, like Amazon marketplace just to give a lot of different ways to uh, to get access.
0: Yep, yep. And and you know we we have we have sort of yet to see and this is a good thing like we're, you know, these these tools all just sort of work against any environment. So, you know, all the all the work around trying to make this, you know, make the API standardized, make sure we don't have, you know, sort of divergence of what's going on. I think is a is a really strong um, sign from the community in terms of, you know, just consistency. You know, you can feel confident that the tools you use are going to work uh, from one distribution to another, or one cloud to another. So, I think that's a that's a very good thing.
1: Yeah, I mean I think that that sort of like, you know, goes goes to the next piece is, is, you know, having that that portability, right? So so once you have these, you know, standardized uh on on some of the tooling, that's one way to get um portability, but I think also just, you know, the kind of sticking to standards and and even the the conformance model, um I think it is critical to that's what people want when you want open source. The idea is I'm I'm avoiding, you know, being stuck with one particular uh you know, distribution or or vendor or whatever.
0: Yeah, and I, I think you know I think the the conformity portability thing is is good. We're, I think we're going to end up talking about it in a couple of different ways in 2018. I think for for a while it was just hey does does such and such a cloud support uh, you know Kubernetes, which you know we sort of got through all those check boxes this year, and then um, you know we had the CNCF tests which we've talked about before, and the nice thing about those is it is just the exact same tests that. You know everybody has to to comply to for you know for the API and so forth, and then I think the other big thing that we're going to see get sort of uh, standardized is, you know, every one of the cloud providers I would expect will have a uh, like an open service broker implementation um, that'll be readily available and working on lots of different implementations. So I mean, we saw AWS announced theirs a couple of weeks ago. Microsoft, we talked to Gabe about theirs. Um, you know, Google obviously uh, you know has. Uh, some that's available. And I, I think we're going to see that as yet another thing that's going to help this portability as people don't feel like, OK, you know, picking a cloud is, a, is an either or decision. It's like, OK, cool. I can I can pick a cloud. I can move clouds. I can use a service broker to get to other services and in, in other clouds and so forth and and make that much more consistent.
1: Yeah, I, I think the interesting piece with the open service broker API is uh, people are used to stuff being like, oh, this is the same, but technically not really. And they don't work together kind of thing where, you know, as you saw each new one come out, right, you talk to people and they're like, well, well, will this one work with, you know, this kube distro? We're like, well, well, well yeah, and, and it'll even work with Cloud Foundry because it's the same API. That's the whole point. And they're still kind of like, oh, really? Are we sure about that? And yeah. and that's, that's, I think, the, the beauty of it.
0: Yeah, yeah. There's still some. I think a good exercise is somebody's going to go through and and just sort of you know show how a bunch of those brokers work in any given thing and kind of disprove that concern. Because yeah, that was definitely something we did here coming out of KubeCon Was yeah, I know you all said you comply to an API, but is that really true? Um, so definitely well, I, uh, a good demo for somebody to put together.
1: Yeah, and I think a piece of the simplicity. I mean, the Open Service Broker API has like four commands, so <laughs> it's, right, it's, it's, it's a little crud. easier to. Uh, yeah, it's little fire on that.
0: Yeah, yep. exactly. Exactly. So
1: um, and I think I think it was good, too, is the fact that it's separate from the service catalog. So that way, you know, which makes sense is, like you say, if you're consuming multiple clouds or some on-prem resources, some cloud resources, you can plug in multiple brokers to the same service catalog and, right. you know, and show it one way instead of being like, oh, now Dell has to pick through which catalog they're looking for the thing. Right, right, right.
0: Well, and I think we'll get into to more kind of the the modularity of those things, right? I mean, there's there is, you know, like an AWS or an Azure, but there's also an Ansible one and there's going to be, you know, like an OpenShift template and and there's going to people are going to start to understand the concept of like, you don't have to necessarily think of everything as like only on platform or off platform, you can you can mix and match those pretty easily.
1: Yeah, and I think I mean Ansible is a great idea, great one example of like I think people associate it with Red Hat, so it's like oh well that works for OpenShift. It's like well, well no that'll that'll work with anything that you know and it supports API, so you could be running you know say a Cloud Foundry distro and use the Ansible service broker to put stuff in your catalog using your Ansible playbooks.
0: Right, right, yep. Um, so the next thing I had on our list was sort of uh, you know infrastructure breadth and i think this is a big deal if if you look at um you know again this gets kind of gets to one of the the big things that we get into which is like are these platforms is kubernetes an operator centric thing cuz it's you know it's like containers and you're trying to maintain them or is it a developer centric thing and i and i think the reality is it's it's both and it can it can be both it can be sort of hidden from from either one of them in terms of what it does uh but i think one of the things that the kubernetes community did a really nice job of was you know make sure that the the pluggability of of the infrastructure more you know most importantly um, you know networking and and storage but then also you know sort of this evolution of things like um, network policy and, and some of the other load balancing stuff has been really important you know so I know for example like with OpenShift you know, we support CNI and we probably have, you know, 10, 12 different partner companies that you can plug in different networking solutions into this. And, and they don't all give you exactly the same implementation because some do multi-tenancy and some do, you know, SDN differently than others, overlays and underlays and so forth. But you know, the, that, that you can just say, yeah, as long as you support certain sort of common interfaces, um, things should just work, I think is, is really a big deal. It takes a lot of the the guessing out of, out of infrastructure.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think, and, and it allows c- people to, you know, pick their level of complexity. So, yeah, I know plenty of people doing uh, Kube will be using very basic uh, sort of networking options, and then some environments are very complex and need, you know, tons of knobs on the networking side. So having having that same base core or, you know, Kubernetes uh, implementation, but allowing you to, to plug those in and out and, and have them work pretty seamlessly is has is, is been b- pretty big. Right,
0: right. And, and you know, and and... Sort of disconnecting it from some of the container engine stuff, so it wasn't. You know, I know. You know, some people Docker was fairly early. For example, like acquiring Socket Plane to do storage, you know, to do container networking. Um, but then they ended up making the interface sort of very specific to their implementation of how they're going to do it, and um, you know, didn't necessarily take off the way that uh, the way that CNI has. Um, and it'll be interesting to see on the storage side. You know, if if CSI gains the same sort of momentum. Um, that we've seen on the cni side I, I think the you know people working on it have the right intentions and, and i'm hoping for that but uh, that'll be definitely something to to keep an eye on uh, in 2018
1: yeah yeah i think i think the definitely the the networking community is a little ahead of the storage community right now from from that perspective and and i think like anything um you know the the and there's nothing wrong with it you know the typical kind of vendor approach is like well we make storage so we we should have a, a cni plugin for our thing so people can integrate with it uh and I, I think that's fine um i think then it's just over time you know more common patterns will emerge and people will kind of st- standardize on a on a set of of options and and then it'll really kind of mature
0: yeah yeah and i and i'm hoping that you know we don't just have hey we're a network or storage vendor hence here's our plug in there you know done i'm hoping we see those you know those folks with a lot of expertise in those domains you know get involved with stuff like sto and envoy and you know kind of thinking about patterns uh, for for network policy you know like i hope they get involved with the community more so than just making a plug-in because, you know, they do have expertise and obviously they, they represent, you know, certain customer interest and customer challenges and so forth. So I, I hope they, they become a bigger part of the community as well.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think the only uh, concern people have with that is, is balancing that we, you definitely want that. Um, there's just this, this you know deep urge uh, most vendors to say like, wow, we have this one thing that we're really good at. So we really want to make this like a first class thing who, you know, we saw it a little bit with OpenStack where it's like, well, we need to have the, say, sender driver, have these features because then we can sell our things as being the best that, that yeah. in, you know, so I think, I think, and, but I think overall the, the, you know, kind of the way the community set up and the, and the leadership, I think is, has kept that to a minimum. And I think people have tried not to do that, but, uh, but that's always a concern too.
0: Right. Right. Now the, the flip side of that, of course, is, you know, uh, if we're talking about Infrastructure. It's you know, what's what's Cube done to to make it easier for applications, right? And I, I think, to me, one of the really interesting things this year was. Um, and we had seen this from an OpenShift perspective for a couple of years, and and I don't know if we were just asking different questions or if it was you know the type of companies that were working on OpenShift, but like we've been doing stateful applications and you know kind of lifting and shifting applications into containers for for several years, um, but it felt like there was very much a, a realization in the in the Kubernetes and container community this year, like oh. Oh, that's a that you're allowed to do that. Like it's not just stateful out you know, stateless applications. And um so I, I think there's much more realization that the things that you can put into containers and that, you know, can be you know deployed and managed by Kubernetes is is much bigger than the original kind of oh, it's only new greenfield applications.
1: Yeah, I think it's I think it's a combination of things that, that kind of help that help that along too. There was you know, I don't know, you know, where it started, but there was some sort of, you know, there was this idea spread kind of in tech, you know, in the last ten years that like, hey, everything's just going to get totally rewritten. We're going to throw out all the old stuff, write new stuff, and and that's just how tech's been. We always rewrite the new stuff, and then people start to look back like, no, we're we're still running stuff on mainframes, and you know, co- code sticks around longer than we think, and there is value to lift and shift and that type of uh, type of stuff. And I think that's where you know, even saw that with Amazon in the early days of EC2, where people were like, this is only for cloud stuff and amazon's like we're not telling you what it's for we're just telling you kind of what the guardrails are and i think we're starting to see that with kube now which is great i think is hey here's how it works here's how you can bring you know um statefulness to your apps here's how you can do these things and then you you do what you think is best versus sort of more of a uh almost uh yeah you know, like religious approach like everything must be rewritten and replatformed and, and devops and, and all that stuff
0: yep yeah. and then you know we, we've obviously seen you know kube expand we've seen uh you know, what we used to be uh, third party resources is now called custom resource definition. So essentially, you know, the ability to create kind of custom work that will run on top of on top of cube so to me that's going to allow a lot of vertical applications to get to get written I think we're going to see you know people building specific stuff for specific verticals Uh, you know we've seen sort of the the function as a service serverless working group or you know discussion area happening within cube so we've seen different implementations of that happening Um, you know we're seeing batch jobs and stateful stuff become you know kind of come out of alpha and start to get stabilized so I mean I feel like like um you know and then you you know you include stuff like you know we talked to jeremy eater about the work he's doing around high performance stuff and hpc and i mean i feel like in 2018 we're going to very much be able to say like yeah any any application that you want to put on this for the most part um you know there's there's going to be some pretty well-known ways of doing that and and the technology will be baked into into cube in ways that that you can feel very comfortable dealing with that
1: yeah, I think I think we're we're super close there on the Linux side, with the exception of like you said, some of the, you know, high performance or, or custom hardware pieces where like there has to be some GPU scheduling and things like that. But but obviously, when we talked to Jeremy, that that's moving along pretty quickly. Um, I think the the last missing piece, which you know, I've talked to Gabe. Uh, last week is is the Windows side of the house, and and as that all comes together, I think it'll be, you know, kind of that vision that that people are hoping for with Kub, where it's hey, here's one platform to run your apps if they're new, if they're old, if they're Windows, if they're Linux, uh, come bring them here. Yeah,
0: now the Windows thing is going to be very interesting. And then I think to a certain extent, um, people talk about sort of the smack stack, uh, which is, you know, much more big data uh, specific. I think that still has some evolution um, to happen, which I I think will happen fairly quickly. um, But, you know, still... You know, we, we see some people that say, well, you know, that, that's still a better fit for say like Mesos, for example, just because of its, its lineage and, and having dealt with a lot of the big data specific kind of two factor or two, two, you know, two tier scheduling around that. But, uh, definitely, definitely another area that's going to come along like windows is.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think the, uh, you know, the, what people always are, you know, it's it's not always doable, but people are always looking for the like, well, if I could have one thing instead of two things, even if it's not the, you know, the ultimate best at both, uh, I'd rather have that. So I think that's what's kind of driving some of that, too.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And we've seen that in a lot of customers where, you know, they'll do a POC of a couple of different technologies and. And, you know, the PLCs will do well. And then they try and justify an ROI of having a bunch of different stacks. And, and that doesn't tend to, to work itself out. So people eventually, like you said, come around to, okay, as long as it's good enough, and it generally works. And, and I can, I can put a lot on that I can, I can save a bunch of money in, you know, one set of operations, one set of training up people, you know, one set of process and, and so forth. So definitely, definitely an important space.
1: Yeah, I think that you know people are starting to finally put the value on efficiency and, and operations and and stuff like that outside of just like well, what is the best, you know, which which widget has the lowest you know millisecond response time or something like that for this application and say well, if I have ten different ones for these ten different use cases, I'm actually it's actually worse because I'm have all these other things to support. Yep.
0: Yep. Now, one area that, uh, you know, I, I don't know that either one of us are sort of experts in, and we've, we've said this before on the show, but, um, you know, security definitely took a, a big jump in the Kubernetes community this this past year. I think, you know, there was, there was some talk early on that, uh, you know, Kubernetes kind of was great at scalability, um, you know, and it, and it has certain things built in from a security perspective. But as... You know, as with everything in security, like that you learn more about security kind of not just in theory, but, but in practice. And, you know, as people were trying to figure out how do you make it compliant and so forth, um, some areas popped up, you know, how do we, how do we manage secrets better? How do we make sure that things are sort of, you know, secure by default, if you will? Um, you know, and I, and I think we made some very good progress in the community, um, you know, to the point where, again, it's something that will work on a, on a broad scale as opposed to sort of, you know, specifically, you know, locked into one implementation. I think that was uh, definitely an area, you know, around secrets management was, was a big focus area. You know, second part of the year, um, we're seeing things like Cryo and, and others around, uh, you know, how we're integrating, you know, the, the container runtime with the orchestration and so forth. So definitely some progress on the security front um, as well, although maybe it doesn't get as many headlines as uh, some of the other areas.
1: Yeah, I, I think it's sort of like a, a two two uh piece approach. One is yeah, you know, some of the core stuff in Kube, whether like I said improved secret handling, uh you know, slimming down stuff like 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 a runtime like cryo being much, you know, much more lean and mean and, and limited kind of uh, components that you that you don't need, right? So anytime security you can strip out stuff you don't need is is always good. Um but then also just you know, creating those interfaces and enabling the outside stuff. So even stuff like RBAC and then being able to integrate with, um, Say like Active directory or in the case of uh, heptio's uh, plugin for Amazon to use the Amazon IAM model in with kube and and all those types of things you know allowing the outside security resources you know that are that are there already you know companies like black Duck or whatever they're doing container scanning and just being able to integrate those in a way that each customer you know what fits their security needs they can plug in the appropriate thing without trying to put it all inside of kube
0: yeah and I and I think you know I, I think again we, we talk a lot about this I, I think the kube community has done a pretty good job of you know not trying to 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 boil the ocean right so for example you know you would think like something like container like container registry oh well that's you know kind of a absolutely necessary part of of any environment well you know why hasn't like for example kube you know kind of defined what a registry looked like or the cncf specifically has a registry project or something and and i think the community has generally said like you know, that's a, that's a space that allows for innovation. Um, You know, there's a, there's well-known ways to sort of get to registries, but uh, let's not, you know, let's not overwhelm things and sort of, you know, get rid of ways to, to be creative and, you know, scanning, signing all sorts of stuff around, uh, around that is still sort of outside of, of, of Kube and it gives people the ability to, to innovate and and so forth, which I think is, is a good idea.
1: Yeah. I mean, as you know, forcing that, you know, adherence, whether it's, you know, strict, via testing or whatever, or just, you know, sort of community uh, approach, but just keeping those adherence to standards is is the key to make, you know, the, the ecosystem grow like this. And and also providing, I think, predictability and APIs and versioning and stuff, which I think Kube is, has thought a lot about as, you know, releasing new versions. So I think those type of things allow a really good third-party ecosystem to flourish and, and meet needs, and like you said, quicker sometimes even than, than the core project can because there's just too many, too many moving pieces you can't work on at all.
0: Yep. Yep. So I, you know, I, I think we're sort of maybe we're about halfway through our list of stuff for the year. And a lot of the stuff we've talked about has been very technology centric, right? You know, which, which technologies are there, which interfaces are there, you know, what's what's expanded? What, what are some of the other things that, that you've sort of, you know, been thinking about in terms of where Kube has, uh, has gotten better, um, or, or has it been expanding its reach?
1: Well, I mean, I think the the, uh, the performance computing stuff, like we talked about with Jeremy, I think is an interesting area for a number of reasons. Uh, you know, they have that performance SIG uh, to focus on it. Uh, but it's, it's interesting because it crosses, to me, it crosses those industry verticals, whether it's, you know, oil and gas or whatever, or high frequency trading or, you know, say HPC, uh, or and I think now also sort of like the ML, you know, machine learning AI type stuff that are taking advantage of, of uh specialized hardware like using GPUs uh to process some of that information. So I think it's all about not just how do we run these applications on here, but if they require specific hardware, how do we, you know, how do we schedule that within Kube in a way that's not, you know, highly customized and 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 brittle. You know, we want it to be a, a sort of normal model. So I think, you know, the focus on that this year uh, and seeing you know people start really bringing that together, I think is setting the table for you know as these type of technologies start to spread into more and more you know companies having those pieces in place already. Where if you're hey we're already doing Kube. we're running a bunch of our you know key say we're a bank, we're running a bunch of our you know core banking type. Apps and you know web banking stuff, but oh, we have this area they want to start doing some you know specialized high frequency trading things, say with you know blockchain or something like. Well, where are we going to run that? Well, we already have this platform, and it already you know they've already been doing this for a while, so we could do that over there.
0: Yeah, yeah, I know some of the companies that I've talked to, you know, just again really early initial stuff around some of this higher frequency, higher performance stuff. Um, it, it is still sort of early days. I mean, a lot of them already have things in place to do, uh, HPC or, you know, uh, kind of profiling large scale profiling. And when you talk to them, all of a sudden it's like, you know, how big of an environment are you talking about? They'd be like, uh, you know, 5,000, 10,000, 20,000 nodes. And, um, you know, so if this evolves the way we kind of expect it to, and, and again, it'll be interesting to see what the, what the trade-off factors are going to be. Is it, you know, time to spin up nodes. Is it you know kind of cost of running the environments? Um, you know, we're going to very quickly talk about some very very large Kubernetes environments. Um, you know, very quickly if this stuff starts to take off and it starts to mature in some of the areas where we're you know we're hearing early customers saying, "Hey, we'd be we'd be willing to adopt it." Not you guys are trying to push technology on us, but they're they're coming to us saying, "Hey, we're we're really interested in potentially adopting this stuff." You know, how can we how can we get involved? How can we you know sort of you know, help you understand use cases that might not seem obvious to you or that you you may not completely understand right away.
1: Yeah, and I think that's where we're gonna see more sort of, you know, um niche technologies show up in the ecosystem for stuff like say like InfiniBand, like CNI stuff for InfiniBand and and things will bring that in. But again, that's the nice thing of the model is you know, you have the appropriate drivers and, and it's set up and it's it's there's no special thing that has to happen with Kube because it's it's handled it through the plug in.
0: Yep, yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know, another thing that, that I saw a ton of and this was probably for me one of the biggest takeaways of, of uh of the Austin KubeCon this year was kind of a a new focus. I don't know if it's a renewed focus, but really a new focus on developer experience, right? So there was, there was some talks about, Hey, you know, Kube's becoming boring. I know Kelsey talked about it and Clayton Coleman talked about, Hey, you know, we, we really have a a focus. Let's make Kube boring. Um, but the flip side of that is anytime something becomes boring, um, or, you know, pretty well understood or beginning to be understood, it's like, okay, what's, what's a new area where we can optimize. And, and to me, you know, developer experience and a whole new set of developer tools around developer experience are, are starting to sort of explode um, in this space.
1: Yeah, the um, I think I think it goes back to like I said earlier, like having the right balance of, of being self critical and, and or, or not caring is I think this was a good kind of balance here of, hey, look, with Koob's awesome, it runs great. But we could here's an area where we can do better, right? The, you know, comparing the, you know, experience of, of of other types of options to be like, well, I got to make manifest and Docker files and things like that. And is this really the best, you know, we could do for developers and say, no, so let's figure out a couple other ways to do it. Um, I thought it was a it was really was really and you saw it as sort of a theme through the keynotes in Austin. Yep.
0: Yeah. And, and what's good. I think what's going to be interesting is, you know, a lot of times, you know, we do end up reinventing the wheel. So I mean, it, it's not as if you know, developer experience and platforms has never been something people have focused on. I mean, we've had things like build packs, we've had um, you know, PaaS experiences in the past, we've had S2I in the past, we still have those things. Um, so you know, I, I think what we're gonna see is we're gonna see a certain amount of people who come out with tools as if, you know, hey, nobody's ever thought about this before. And then I think we'll we'll then sort of see a a reinvigoration of like, hey, wait a minute, you know we have a bunch of these things already. Maybe if we tweak them a little bit, um, you know, we can, we can bring that experience there. So I think, you know, we, we've seen things like Helm obviously is, is, is taking off. We, you know, we've had templates for a long time in OpenShift, So it's like, okay, we, we understand that concept. Um, we're seeing things like draft. Uh, we're seeing things like brigade. Um, you know, we're going to start to see more visual ways of doing this stuff. I mean, we've seen that over in the AWS community with, um, you know, with, with like the serverless stuff. And so I, I think, we're going to see people are going to want sort of standardization, right? And we had Helm sort of standardized, I think in the rest of the tools, we're going to have kind of an explosion of, you know, different options and different choices. And, and quite honestly, like I think if you get 10 developers in a room, like they have 10 different opinions on stuff. So um, I think it's going to be good. It's going to be a big deal for 2018 as to, you know, what shakes out, what do people really like, how much can be reused, how much can be, you know, applied from one vendor to another and, and how much ends up being sort of vendor specific tooling.
1: Yeah, I, th- I think that's, I uh, the think the most important thing you just said there was uh, if you get 10 developers in a room, they have 10 different opinions and then you throw in the, okay, they deployed to those 10 different developers, deployed 10 different ways to production, and then there's like, well, how do we operate it after there? And the whole sort of like, well, do the developer, you know, should they care about how it's operated, you know, how does operations handle it? And I think, I think that's a key kind of takeaway for me is, you know, all abstractions are leaky. Uh, so it's what abstractions make the most sense for your particular environment and, and kind of, I think, sort of accepting that people are going to do things a lot of different ways. So how do we make that make that flexible? I thought uh, Brendan Burns presentation recitation on uh, Metaparticle was was interesting, was basically let's Bring those. Let's abstract that all the way up to the language. So, say I'm writing in Python, I can just put a uh, a decorator on my Python function to tell it how I want it containerized and run on Kubernetes. And you're like, well, that makes sense. You know, that's if you're a developer, you understand you know programming language. But then at the same point, like, well, if you're a developer, do you really know how you you know you the person that should be making those decisions on how it's packaged or run or is that operations or you know is this now devops or you know and each each customer is different too you know in in some environments it's a it's a you know small team doing all of it in other environments you know really big environments it's different groups so i think you know the idea that there's one best abstraction or one best way to deploy apps and you know and that's i think where you see some of the kind of mistakes of, of more strict paths in the past was like, well, this is the best way. We just have to get everyone to do it. Um, and like, well, it depends. It's like yeah, yep. in a perfect world. But for us, that may not make sense. So I think having this whole kind of diversity of of options, but again, all under the covers, use the regular Kube APIs and commands and, and are all compatible. So one developer can build something in draft and one person can deploy a Helm chart and, and kind of all end up in the same place.
0: Yeah. I, I, always, I always sort of have two rules of thumb. I guess, at least in discussions I, I have in talking to different companies, you know, like they'll, they'll say, well, we, you know, we, we really like this, for example. And, and so the one question I always ask them is like, okay. Um, do you believe that everybody in your company, all of your developers or, you know, the mix of say developers writing code and say operators who might be doing lift and shift, do, do you think they're all going to want to use the exact same tool? And in some cases it's, well, they won't get a choice. We're going to dictate that. And if that's the case, okay, um, you know, try and find a really flexible tool, which sometimes is challenging. Um, or, you know, if they come back and go, well, you know, we're not sure. And, you know, we know some are going to like it, you know, make sure that, that you're you understand that you're going to need to support, you know, different ways of dealing with it. Some people who want to push containers, some people who want to push code, some who, you know, want interesting ways of of linking into the CI/CD system, make sure you kind of understand, okay, you're probably going to need multiple paths. And then the other one is sort of, you know, don't fall in love with the fallacy of, hey, I saw a demo and they did something in two minutes and they pushed it production. And you went, oh, that would be awesome. Because it's like, do you do you really do you push to production? Do you allow your developers just off their desktop to just push to production and in most cases it's like oh no, we don't do that there's a whole there's a whole process of you know a it goes through all the normal testing phases and automation phases, but then we also have Uh, you know, we we have gates that protect, you know, when, when we deploy to production and so forth. So, you know, demos are really cool, but don't completely fall in love with the, you know, Hey, here's one command. It automatically goes to production and, you know, everything in your, you know, like, Hey, that, that command has essentially become sort of your DevOps savior or silver bullet or something.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I think we're also seeing, you know, going back to the security thing earlier and, and in here with the developer experience too, is, you know, kind of a lot of, Containers are just designed with that sort of, hey, well, it's it's, it's going to have root access and naturally, and you know, the privileged container model. And it's like, well, for some things you have to, right, if you have access to specific hardware underlying or some things like that. But but both Docker and, and OCI and, and, you know, Kube have, have done a really good job at removing the number of things that that needs. So by default, you know, kind of following that security model of non-root containers should be the default. And, and we're starting to see, you know, people really st- – get a handle on that and and start to make those switches yeah yeah i mean
0: we've seen um you know we've even seen people like bitnami who've basically built an entire parallel catalog to to all their container stuff that you know that is you know non-root um and in some cases it's specific to open shift but other cases it's just like you know you don't that thing doesn't need to run as root why would you you know not you know make it sort of secure by default so i think that's a it's a good evolution we've seen
1: yeah Here. Here's an NGINX container. Uh, it needs privilege access. Like, wait, why? <laughs> right, right, exactly. So the last thing I had on our list before we before we make
0: any sort of uh, predictions for the future was, um, you know, obviously we, we, we began this whole thing with maybe it's hard to get Cube up and running, and we talked about how that's evolved. Um, let's talk a little bit about how it's become easier or how we're sort of gaining various experiences about operating Cube environments um and, and how that's evolved, uh, both you know for good for for good, you know, for, for better, and then in some cases sort of it's becoming invisible.
1: Yeah, I, I think the uh you know one of the key things is you know, a lot of the companies that are heavily involved with, with Kube, especially, you know, starting with Google and then you know Red Hat Microsoft and others uh, are are operators. So, you know, getting that operator experience of like, ooh, we're running Kube and we're, we're running into this problem a lot and we need to fix this. And I think it's kind of reminds me of the very uh, very early days of OpenStack when it was Rackspace and NASA who were both operate just full operators and you know fixing things as they broke and they saw them in their operational experience. So I think that's that's good here to see how that gets better and feeding that information back into the overall thing versus like, hey, we want to put this this widget in here so we can sell it easier. It's like, oh, we're gonna to have to run this. So we, we you know, if that's gonna make our lives harder, we we better think really hard about that. And I think uh you know, seeing that, you know, as people tried new things, seeing it move into the product. So hey, you know, I think in very early days it was like Elk Stack. Uh, for logging, and then you know you know it, but people a lot of people started using Fluentd instead, and had some advantages. So now you know it became like the ELF ELF stack uh, that people were using, and you start to see that kind of flow upstream.
0: Sh- yep.
1: Yeah, and I think we've seen
0: you know we've we've sort of benefited from you know from experiences and from scars and and scabs and stuff. I mean, we're starting to see um, you know the companies that that run online environments. So you know, like in the OpenShift case, um, you know we've we've made a very heavy push to make sure that um, you know what we what we push out into the community in terms of best practices and reference architectures is has been reflected in what we do in our online environment, so that you know we we know what it does at scale. We know what it doesn't do at scale. Um, you know, we're pushing back into things like Prometheus and so forth, uh, but we're seeing this from from everybody who's who's doing this. You know, is is how do you how do you take that experience from running those environments and then kind of trying to figure out ways to bake that into the into the software that you deliver or the services that you deliver? Um, so, because because the ultimate goal of this is, um, you know people don't necessarily want to be become slaves to, you know, constantly doing upgrades, but if that's part of what you're doing because you're running the software, okay, let's make that easier. Um, If you don't want to be in the operations business, cool. Give people various options to, to not have to do operations, or maybe they, they don't want to do operations for dev and test, but they do for, you know, for production. Okay, cool. Mix and match those services so that they get the level of operations they want to deal with. And so I, I think we definitely saw a big leap, in 2017 about you know how do we bring operation like real operational experience and start to bake that into the into the various products and services and software and and design uh, documents and so forth it's not perfect by any means Um, you know kube is still a very fast-moving environment and uh, but i think it's it's definitely getting better the feedback that i heard from from the community was you know it's definitely getting better there's still a lot of work to do but but definitely getting better
1: yeah, I, I think I think that's the the you know the speed at which I've seen, um, you know some of these newer you know fixes on the operational side move up, and then also just the the visibility. I mean, you know, thing, uh, working with other projects and stuff and seeing it's like, oh well, you know, is if you t- do a talk about like said, logging or monitoring or something, people would would pack the house because it's like, well, we don't hear about this much, and we're all tra- you know all we hear about is installs and things like that. But how do we operate this thing? And I think I feel like you're seeing a lot of Operational content like Prometheus and things like that being talked about in the community is sort of like a, a, you know, first class citizen of like, well, hey, here's how we how we operate, which I think shows a lot of maturity. Yep. Yep. People
0: are making uh, day two and day, you know, 374 as important as day one, which is uh, which is important. Well, listen, man, we've been going for a while. I think that we, we've sort of hit uh, most of the things that we had on our list for, you know, how kubes evolved this year. Um, do you want to uh, look into your crystal ball and, and make any sort of projections for uh, for 2018?
1: Um, yeah so so I think the, the two things that uh yeah the one my generic and, and obvious prediction is yeah, with uh, Windows support landing next year uh, in Kube I think we'll see a, a big explosion of, of use cases uh, especially in maybe even some of the smaller shops that have a lot of windows uh, starting to, to move to Kube. and and off of that I, I think my, my sort of a little bit of a reach is uh, virtualiza- you know kind of virtualization. And containers, kind of, you know, kind of running into each other. Like we saw the kata containers uh, stuff at uh, KubeCon, uh, Kubevert, things like that. I think what we're starting to see the switch of, hey. I'm running some sort of you know virtualization IaaS layer, and I want to run Kube on top of it. And, and here's how I do that too. Uh, I want to run Kube as like my core sort of management layer, and then for the stuff that still needs to be in VMs, I want to run that in Kube somehow. And I think that's where you're starting to see some of these other other capabilities show up. And 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 I think that's really where the rubber will start to meet the road of people, whether it's lift and shift or you know just you know my wholesale migrations sort of from a traditional. Uh, um, virtualization model to uh, to a container centric, kube centric one. Yeah,
0: no, I think that I think that's a a really good projection because I I think to a certain extent, um, you know, we're we've seen. A lot, a lot of production Kubernetes, and you know, I, we we obviously can't give away any numbers from a Red Hat perspective, but um, you know, very, very large amounts of growth, um, large number of you know Fortune 500, Fortune 1000 customers that are that are running this production, and and the thing we hear from them is always you know expand our footprint, help us get more application to this, and I think that leads itself to you know kind of the pragmatic technologies you're talking about, you know, Windows applications, you know, kind of the blurring between virtualization and containers. I think to a lot of companies and a lot of production companies, like that's more interesting than uh, you know, kind of the the fascination that we now have with with service meshes and Istio and Envoy and and so forth. So I, I would say my my prediction, uh, and I'll throw one out, is you know I think we're going to be fascinated by the Envoy's and Istios and uh, graphius and and all the really cool things that are happening around um service meshes and the security around you know kind of ways to make some of these um you know cloud native applications easier but i think we're going to go through a lot of churn in in 2018 uh, about you know how to make those things work and what do the patterns really look like um to to make those work and make them simple and so forth and so i actually i think you're right my my prediction is kind of kind of you know follow up on that is i think we'll see more production usage of of those technologies, say Windows and and virtualization uh, container blurring than we do, um, you know, nearly as many of the, the service mesh stuff, which I think is still really cool technology, but I think it's still got a ways to go in terms of baking and people really knowing how to use them properly.
1: Yeah, I think it's a combination. I totally agree. I think it's a combination. of It needs to bake a little more, and then I think it's also like the applicability, right? So if you're talking mainly, you're mostly rewriting or you know breaking apart an existing monolith into microservices and taking advantage of those types of things. I I, I think it's more, yeah. You know, what the the way I would describe it is, it's a four hundred level or five hundred level container problem, yep. uh, where most enterprises are dealing with one hundred two hundred level container problems. So it's it's absolutely it's not that it's not useful and and not super powerful. Uh, but it really applies to such a small subset of the of the environments right now. So, you know, whereas you know, if you said how many people have Windows stuff they want to put in containers, is is a much larger percentage than the hey, who needs you know, how building a service mesh out of their microservices?
0: Yeah, and I and I guess the one, it's not really a prediction, but it's, but it's sort of maybe it's an ask of the Cube community is like, I, I think we're going to see more and more companies that um, continue to have interest in in how to use say like machine learning um, as part of regular day-to-day things. So whether it's part of their marketing or part of their Salesforce optimization, or it's part of, you know, making their supply chain better. Um, I think there's definitely an opportunity for the cube community to go. How do we make, Um, you know, machine learning slash AI, some of the stacks around us, whether it's, you know, TensorFlow types of stacks. um, You know, I know, uh, David Aronichek from Google was was speaking at uh, OpenShift Commons and talking about, you know, there's some new stuff coming along to make that simple. uh, The smack stack, I think, you know the the easier you can make those stacks to run on kubernetes and you know get some early adoption around that i think is is going to be really really important for this community because it's become such a regular part of day-to-day business for companies or they want to embed it in their technology that you know we we definitely don't want to uh, to miss that opportunity to to make it part of the cube community
1: yeah, no, I feel like a lot of these things, you know, when it comes to – we even saw this with with kind of the big data craze and and Hadoop and things like that is most of the companies that were super successful did a lot of experimentation. So, yep. you know, and a lot of it's off – you know, if you have to be like, we're going to buy this thing and here's all the parameters. We're going to spend X amount of and we're going to set this up and it's going to do exactly this um, this doesn't really fit into that. So making it really easy for someone to say, like, Hey, I'm going to download this. And I have an idea with some of our data sets. This thing may work. Let's, let's kick the tires on it. I think is really critical to those types of things being adopted.
0: Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, listen, man, we've been going for, for quite a while. You can, you can tell uh, by both of our voices that we're, uh, we're a little hoarse. I'm not sure we could go much longer than this. So uh, I'm going to wrap it up there. Um, want to thank everybody for, for listening for the whole year. Uh, you know, we've really, We've enjoyed doing the show. We've gotten a lot of really good feedback from people. I think we're we're up somewhere, you know, 2,500, 3,000 or so listeners, which is, you know, amazing. You know, granted, we, we started from scratch. So thank you to everybody for listening for the year. Uh, thank you for all the feedback. And, uh, you know, if, if you want to see new stuff in 2018, um, you know, hit us up on Twitter, hit us up on, on email. All the, the things are in the show notes. Uh, but thanks to everybody. Um, just for from a from a scheduling perspective, uh, we're not going to have a show on Christmas, as we mentioned. And the next show we will do will come out on uh probably on june 2nd because i don't or i'm sorry uh, january 2nd because i don't think anybody wants to uh to listen to us on uh, january 1st if they uh, (laughs) may may have gone out late on on new year's eve so we'll get that one out probably on tuesday the first week of the year and and kick off 2018 in style sounds great all right folks thanks uh, for listening as always and we will talk to you in the new year